The Griot's Remedy, produced by Booked Loudly, a division of Pecan Tree Creative Solutions, is designed to be an entertaining and insightful creative exploration of life issues through the lenses of characters written in fiction and creative nonfiction stories and excerpts or full versions of scripts written for the stage or film. Thoughts, comments, and observations by the host, coaches, counselors, and therapists are not to be construed as personal advice or direction. The host, coaches, counselors, and therapists are also not offering and will not offer mental health advice specific to a listener's individual life or situation, but are sharing individual thoughts and observations. If the themes discussed in this segment resonate with you, we strongly recommend you seek the advice of a licensed mental health care professional or a licensed life coach or life strategist. Visit the podcast site at bookloudly at pecantreebooks.com for resources related to the themes highlighted in this segment. Welcome to The Griot's Remedy, a Book Loudly production, part of Pecan Tree Creative Solutions. This is where authors, coaches, and mental health professionals gather around the mic to explore themes brought to life in fictional works. What will they pull out of their bag on this episode? Keep it locked right here to find out. Here is your host, author, publisher, and award-winning playwright, E. Claudette Freeman. Well, we have made it to the final episode of this season, kind of bittersweet, because it's been so much good stuff. And I'm hoping, ladies, that we've been able to give people some wonderful insight based on the wonderful fiction stories and play excerpts that kind of run through my mind. You know, I always tell people in my mind is a wonderful place to be. I don't know if I play there too long, but it can be entertaining, you know. (laughs) So thank you, ladies. We're going to jump in because today's piece is probably longer than any of the pieces that we've had um, this whole season, but it's a good one. And so I'm going to say hello to our ladies, Miss Weena and Miss Renee. Hey, y'all. Hello. (laughs) Hey, Claudette. So it's always, you know, I introduce you to the ladies so I can make sure you know how to connect with them and who you're connecting with on this show. Weena Wise is a licensed couple and family therapist, certified professional coach, clinical writer and public speaker in the D.C. metropolitan area. She's the owner of Covenant Counseling and Consulting and Covenant Coaching Academy with over 15 years of experience helping individuals, couples, and families achieve the personal and relationship results they desire. Weena has earned the reputation of being a foremost authority on relationship repair and her website where you can then connect with her on all of social media is covenanttherapy.com. Renee Odrick is a board certified professional life coach, counselor, author, and meditation and mindfulness trainer. She holds an MBA in business management and organization and has over 30 years of experience as a business professional with expertise in relationships, training, leadership, caregiving, and organization. She is the CEO of Meditational Moments Incorporated and Meditational Academy. And you can connect with Renee at her website and, again, find all of her social media stuff at Meditational Moment, without an S, meditationalmoment.com. And so, ladies, let's get into the piece today. Um So let me set it up a little bit. This piece is actually uh, an excerpt from a short story from a collection of scandalous first lady stories in a project called When I Kill Him, Jesus Can Have Him. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and this dramatic read is by Miss Margaret Joyner. So so that you kind of know how the piece comes in. 
Luke pastors a popular church, which demands a lot of his time. Serving diligently with him is his wife, Vicky. Their smooth sailing life is erratically disturbed. When Luke's ex-wife, appearing from a time of psychiatric hospitalization, joins the church that he pastors, where she was once the first lady. In this scene, the former first lady saunters up the church, down the middle aisle, to assure her presence is seen. And her glide becomes an interesting point of contention between Luke and Vicky. This is not your house. Her joining the church does not have to be a major thing if we don't allow it to be. When he pulled me atop his lap, I couldn't help but wonder if I was about to be seduced for reassurance or to squash a heated discussion before it began. I really don't want any problems with the former first lady, but you have to admit when you make a theatrical runway glide down the middle of the daggone church, you had reason to make an entrance. Question is, what is the reason? I leaned my head against the soft black leather headrest of his chair. I wished he would change this chair already. He swears it holds some kind of spiritual power. He says some of his most profound thinking is done in that chair. He leaves the house sometimes in the middle of the night to sit in his chair and ponder whatever has grabbed hold of his brain. I have a quick meeting with some of the deacons and and then I'll be home. You want to eat out today? No, I cooked after you left this morning. I'll grab Kazia from the kids' ministry and meet you at home. Vicky. I don't want this to stress you out. I'll talk to her, I promise you. I rose from Luke's embrace and his lap to head out the door. Retrieving my favorite coach purse from the coat rack, a moment of all hell washed over me. I slowed my pace then turned to see if I could find any idea of what was going through his head and his face, but he was tired. His head was buried in his hands as he massaged his temples. I walked back to his desk, lifted his head, and kissed him again. You, I trust. Her, never in a day. We will talk to her together. Promise me. He said nothing. Promise me. I promise you, sweetness. I promise you. Good. I'll have everything in place to help you de-stress when you get home. Don't get long-winded in your meeting and whatever you do, don't let Deacon Allen pray. Y'all will be here until next Sunday. (laughs) You wrong for that. I mean, you right about it, but... (laughs) you so wrong for saying it. Coach bag in hand, I headed for the east side of the church. I love the kids' side of the church. They had a little garden, two or three play sets and jungle gyms. And today the workout bus was on site. The little people would go through the bus time and time again, doing customized exercises and weightlifting. I always got a kick out of the way all of those little sticky hands and glue and glitter fingers always had to touch you somewhere before they hugged you. (laughs) I think the touch is their way of asking permission. 
I was returning one bear hug when I looked up and saw the devil in the red dress touching my child. I kissed Robert Willie's chubby beige cheeks and nearly sprinted to the doorway where Kazia, her teacher Rhonda, and Barbara Dixon were standing. She was holding my child's hand. The closer I got, the tighter my fists clenched. Mommy, mommy, I made a tree with leaves today, fruit of the spirit tree. Kazia's high-pitched squeals broke my anger somewhat. As she jumped into my arms, I found myself checking her, smelling her, looking for cuts, scrapes. For one, one quick second, I even thought perhaps I should check for a tracking device. Well, uh, go get that tree so I can see it. Um, I bet your daddy is going to be, he's going to go crazy when he sees it. Get all your stuff too. We're, we're heading home. Rhonda smiled. I think I should tell you, uh, like I was just telling her aunt, uh, they have a little can with seeds that they planted today. It's, it's our bag. We'll come back around as quickly as possible. With that, she took Kazia's hand and walked off. Barbara stood there like she needed to. She just stood there like she deserved to see what my child had created. This overdressed serpent wanted me to beat her ass. Listen, Miss Green, it's still Dixon. Dixon. Listen, Miss Green, I have no idea why you are here. I have no idea why you would join a church that your ex husband is pastoring knowing that he is remarried and knowing that your marriage ended on very questionable terms. What I do know is this, whatever game you are lining up to play, you will leave my daughter out of it. Don't you talk to me like that. Don't you talk to me that way. If it weren't for you, no, no, uh, uh-uh, no, let's stay in the real world. You're about to drift off again. I had nothing to do with your marriage ending. And even if I did, I stress again that you will stay away from my child. If you choose not to abide by that, understand there is nothing that will stop me from, I got my tree for me. Barbara stormed off. One of her feather earrings falling to the ground. Deacon Small retrieved it and was taken aback when she snatched it from his hand and sucked her teeth. He looked at Rhonda and I, shook his head, and stepped inside the class to get his son. Rhonda was confused. Is something wrong with your aunt? I smiled, then twisted my face, hoping to squeeze out a tactful way to explain things. Miss Dixon is not a family member. She is Pastor's former wife. Rhonda twisted her neck in disbelief. Oh, so she's a a creative storyteller. (laughs) Yes, I like the way you put that. I'll talk to Pastor about what happened, but please let the others know that she is not Kazia's aunt and she is not to interact with her or ever take her off this property or away from this room. Absolutely. Rhonda crossed her arms. I think you should know she did say pastor told her to come take Kazia for ice cream. That's why I seemed confused when I saw you walk up. Glad I came back here when I did. You know what? 
Watch her for a few more moments for me. Maybe I should go have a chat with him now. I headed back to the administrative wing to the building, cutting through the parking lot so that I could give Mike Pritt, the head of the parking ministry, the gift card in my purse. That proved to be a bad decision. Twelve feet from Mike, I heard a motor rev up. Heard someone yell, slow down and move. Next thing I know, I feel a thump against me and I was on the ground. Mike was at my side in seconds. You, you, you good? You good? Mike was frantic, but careful not to touch me without my permission. I'm, I'm good. I, I don't think I was hit directly. I, I, I don't feel like anything is hurt or twisted. Help, help me up. Mike lifted me and helped me find my purse, which seemed to take most of the impact. It had landed between some cars a row from where I was knocked down. He opened the bed of his truck. I sat there regaining my composure. Rhonda brought over a cup of water and wet wipes so that we could assure there was no blood or bad cuts. Attending to me seemed to become a major production, so much so I didn't see Luke approach. What happened? He was nervous, pacing and throwing the question all over the place. What happened? Some, so, so, someone sped off like, like they were crazy. It looked like, it looked like they opened their door to, to close it or something. Next thing you know, first lady was on the ground. Mike's explanation answered some things for me as well. Deacon Small added further details to the mystery. It, 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 it was the, the woman who, who dropped her earring o- over there. Rhonda and I looked at each other. I averted my eyes away from Luke and reached for my purse from Mike. Rising from the truck, I assured everyone that I was okay and asked if anyone else was hit. Luke instructed Mike to file an incident police report, although no one caught the tag number. Luke's arms around my waist as he walked me to the car eased my trembling. I'll go get Kazia and I'll drive you home. I'll get one of the guys to bring my car. Luke, I'm okay. I can drive home. I think you heard me the first time, right? I knew there was no need to answer and no need to argue. Besides, I was scared. Within one hour of joining the church, Barbara had tried to assert her position as still Dixon, tried to kidnap or perhaps just spend unapproved time with my child, and tried to run me over in the parking lot. I leaned back against the headrest. Well, Lord, the enemy may come in like a flood, but... He will flee. I trust you for that. But just to make sure her stupidity doesn't get special, I'll be pulling out that little beauty in the closet to keep me company for a while. Kazia talked about her first fruit of the spirit tree until she fell asleep mid-sentence. <laughs> I pulled her African princess blanket up to her waist where she liked it. Emotions from everywhere welled up in me. What would I have done if Barbara had taken her? What in God's name was she really planning to do? Why why is she back? Barbara's antics are not new to us. When we first got married, wherever Luke was preaching, there she was. And not just present, mm-mm, present in full traditional old world church lady regalia. Present in the front row or the first three rows. Luke put an end to that when we attended a convocation in Memphis. And she greeted him at the airport with a bottle of champagne and a hotel room key. (laughs) The look of utter 
horror and disdain when she saw me come out of the bathroom and meet him at the baggage rack. It was one of the few times through her shenanigans in that season that Luke not only got a tad indignant, but a bit raw as well. He took the bottle of champagne, but not the key, stood inches from her and declared, it does a man good to know that a woman will travel all the way to Memphis to swing from his pole. But baby girl, every night of this convocation, this caramel queen will be the only thing riding dirty. But thank you for the bottle. Like Martin used to tell Gina, we can do some things with that. <laughs> that time, I almost felt bad for her. This time, she has already gotten my attention. Luke stood on the patio smoking his La Clarita from the line of Trey Linda Cubana cigars. The Afro-Cuban sisters who owned the line gave him a box as a gift, and it had become one of his favorites. I snuggled up behind him, leaning into his spine. He pulled me to his front side, pulling me into him. How are you feeling? His warm lips brushed the side of my neck. I am fine. <laughs> I paused, considering my next words. The woman Deacon Small was talking about is Barbara. His breathing grew deep. I gathered that from uh, by how he described her when I went to get Kazia. He said she seemed unusually upset about dropping an earring. I pulled away from him and sat in the padded patio chair. The coolness of it awakened the nerves in my thighs. It was a beautiful night, and I considered whether or not I wanted Barbara to continue to infringe on our day. Did something happen? He leaned against the pillar, his eyes watching me. Luke has this way of commanding a moment with his quiet Looking at him with the cigar in his hand and his bare chest shining lightly from remnants of cocoa butter were reason enough for me to let it go. At least for a couple of hours. We can still do what you're thinking, but I'd like to know what happened. <laughs> I roared. <laughs> Regaining my composure. I recounted what happened with Kazia. The look on his face, the tightness in his body worried me. It also made me feel good. I pressed on with the question I wanted answered when he, he didn't look back at the choir earlier. Did you know she was coming? He hesitated. I got mad. I knew that she was back. She left messages for me. She sent a couple of emails. I, I never thought she would show up and join the church. What are we going to do? He sat in the chair beside me, resting the cigar in its smoldering tray. I've been thinking about that the past few minutes. I'm really in a get it over here or get it over there kind of situation. So, yeah, um, don't like that choice of words. You can't do The woman joined the church. Above the history and personal possibilities, I, I have been positioned in her life to be her pastor. I now have sole responsibility. I cannot negate that. I do understand that. But weigh the seriousness 
of the personal possibilities, Luke. It's not like this woman's behavior towards us has not been violent and imbalanced before. It seems to me that she clearly laid out her plan today. She is crazy. She she is still not in her full right mind. She still wants to be first lady. She still thinks I'm the reasons she's not. What are you talking about? We didn't even, we didn't know each other when that marriage ended. I know that. And you know that. She doesn't care to know that. Me and you together interrupted her get back in plan. I nearly knocked the smoldering cigar out of the tray when I hopped off. Luke caught up with me in the kitchen. I poured a glass of orange juice, purposely not facing him. I was mad, and for some reason, I was scared. I didn't want to come off like a jealous woman. Luke lifted his body onto the prep counter. He was quiet. I was quiet. No sweetness. That I have no desire for Barbara. I, I know who my wife is. I know this time that I am with the one God ordained for me. I do not think you and I should be involved with counseling her. I will not allow her to serve in any capacity where she has direct access to the kids. But I still have to handle this like a pastor. And you still have to handle this like my support. Can we agree to that? I rinsed the empty juice glass and turned it upside down in the sink. Walking past him, I knew he was right. And I didn't like that. I didn't like his spiritual logic. I didn't like that woman. And I didn't like her in that particular house of the Lord. I I did like, (laughs) I did like the feel of Luke's hand removing my shirt and the feel of his body pressing me against the refrigerator. It was beginning to feel like I was stuck in a lifetime TV movie. Barbara was a demonic interruption if I had ever experienced one. Despite warnings from Luke and other church leaders, she tried on three other occasions to get hold of Kazia. So disruptive was her behavior that when my baby saw her anywhere near, she would cower and cry. Two things that are out of character for an effervescent, perpetually chatty four-year-old. Every week, Barbara put out a new welcome mat to let me know she wanted her house back or wanted my house. We, Luke and I, have been able to do things as a couple personally and in ministry that she never had the opportunity to do. Twice in her short marriage, Luke and her family had her committed. Finally, he ended the marriage when she broke into the home of their former church secretary. The woman touched Luke's arm one day while talking to him, and that was a trigger for Barbara. From what I was told, she ignored the raging alarm system. Instead, taking her time, turning over furniture, pulling dishes out of cabinets, creating havoc upon havoc. When the police arrived, she insisted that her husband was hiding in the house. They arrested her. I think it hurt Luke. He is a gentle spirit and wise to a fault. Part of me thinks the way he is handling her now is out of a place of guilt. He has never admitted to anything with the secretary. And I don't believe he had an affair with her. 
still. I think he feels bad that he wasn't able to help Barbara more effectively manage her lunacy. My body was exhausted. I started running again to deal with this enormous stress factor that was now part of our routine. I hated it with every fiber in my being. I found myself thinking about taking Kazia and visiting my parents in Georgia for a while just to breathe. Flo and Mother Bolt discouraged that. They were right. If I left, Barbara would literally move into my house and Luke would lose his mind and his ministry trying to manage her antics. I now had a team of Barbara Wranglers. Mike, Rhonda, Flo, Mother Bolt, Deacon Small, and Deacon Rob were my team. Whatever they could cut off, they did. Success wasn't always the order of the day, however. She would follow me. I would leave home in the morning, and within 10 minutes, her blue Chrysler 300 would pull up behind me. I warned the staff at Kazia's school about her. Luke spoke to her. She showed up at the hair salon one day, looking like she hadn't slept in days, and demanded to know what I was doing with her husband. She threw bottles of shampoo, conditioners, and brushes, whatever, at me and whomever would try to stop her. Luke called her family to ask if she had gone off our meds. During an evening testimony and prayer service, she requested prayer for me. She, she asked that the intercessors would pray that I would release the witchcraft hold I have on her husband. She offered a generous financial gift in return for their favor towards her. When Evangelist Harris started warring and calling stuff out, Barbara sweated profusely and seemed to be playing the dozens in prayer. She had gone up against the wrong one, though. Barbara ran out of the church throwing her shoes at Sister Harris. (laughs) Luke asked that they continue to pray for her. Things were tense between Luke and I. He keeps telling me to look at the whole matter from a calling perspective. There is nothing in my mind spiritual about Barbara's mission. In fact, it is very clear and direct. She intends to regain her position as Mrs. Barbara Dixon, wife of Luke, first lady of Revelation, and head damn peanut in the cuckoo bin. The enemy is very crafty. While she wasn't winning the game, She was gaining ground by default. Here's what I mean. Luke, in struggling to walk in his pastor's calling, was interestingly becoming a man managing two women, two Mrs. Dixons. Clearing my mind, I allowed Kazia to turn on her Disney show tunes in the living room so I could watch her dance as I cooked. She knew every word to every song and sang them loudly. (laughs) But baby girl was happy, and that made me happy. When Luke came in, she and I were munching on carrots and twirling to It's a Small World. He lowered the music, and as I twirled to face him, I knew there was a problem. Barbara, episode number 256. Kazia flew into her daddy's arms, and he loved on her long enough to convince her to head up to her room for a few minutes. He promised he'd read her a story before dinner. His steps were heavy as he followed me into the kitchen. I could feel his heat on my neck. 
are you just going to be a fire breathing dragon or you going to tell me what's going on? His posture, straight spine, arms folded across his chest, pissed me off. He didn't even take that posture when he scolded our daughter. Explain to me why you did it. If I knew what it was, perhaps I could explain it. But since I don't, perhaps you should be the one doing the explaining. I'm sitting in a meeting. The mayor in front of me, commissioners and department heads all around me. I'm pushing an agenda item and my phone is going crazy. He looked at me as though I should have some degree of empathy. I finally excused myself. It's the church. Raul is there painting when a truck pulls up and proceeds to take furniture out of my office. While he's about ready to go ballistic on them, another truck pulls up delivering new furniture. They tell him a V. Dixon ordered everything. I did no such thing. I slammed the knife down on the counter and approached him. Why in the hell, preacher, would I do something like that? I have full run of this house and I have never changed a piece of furniture, one damn piece of furniture without talking to you. Think, man. You might be arguing with the wrong wife. Here we go with that again. His flailing arms was the wrong move. With what again? Did you look at the paperwork? Nothing. Did you look at the paperwork? Is it possible the man said, B, Dixon? This is Raul we're talking about. You still don't know when the man is saying cheese or cheese. His posture shifted drastically. Oh, oh, now you're thinking perhaps coming in on attack mode was not a good idea. What the hell, man? Why would I do that, Luke? Did you look at the furniture? Does it look like something I would buy? He distracted himself by rummaging through the refrigerator. No, I, I didn't see any paperwork or any furniture. I came straight here. I, I thought you were pissed off about. I, in case you haven't noticed, have been beyond pissed off for weeks now about Barbara, about you serving as Barbara's pastor, about Barbara disrupting my day any freaking time she wants to, about Barbara stalking me while I'm with your daughter. I opened and, and slammed five of the kitchen cabinets as though I was creating a musical score. Everything in me poured out into one big yell. When I felt Luke move towards me, I held out my hand, stopping him. Something in me shifted. This argument wasn't about furniture or what Barbara did yesterday or last week or last month. Luke, sweetheart, you thought I was pissed off about what? What? This is something new? He slowly turned and moved into the living room, changing the Disney tunes to jazz. He raised the volume slightly. You didn't go to the ordination nomination meeting. He plopped into the smoke gray side chair, realizing one battle was about to escalate into something else. I did not go to the meeting today. I picked up Kazia early and we had a girl's afternoon. This time, we did so without intrusion from our obsessive shadow. Tell me, sweetness. Yeah, she's not here right now. Tell me. Barbara has the three nominations needed to be considered for ordination. 
I have to give her. Okay, partner. Let me stop you right there. We have sung that tune so many times these last few months that I am sick of it. Sick, sick, sick of it. Come on, Luke. This is too much, man. Too much. Vic, I know the pressure has been a bit much, but I have no more butts left, Luke. I don't. I'm not pissed anymore. I'm not, I'm not even scared anymore. I, I don't know that I have a word to tell you what I am. He rose from the chair and again came toward me. I backed away, nearly falling across the arm of the couch. The room felt like an inferno suddenly and I wanted to run. He dug his hands in his pockets and rested his body in a sitting position on the back of that same couch. The one we picked out together. And now he wants to be mad because he thinks I changed his precious damn furniture without asking. Before I could speak, his phone rang. He pulled it from his pocket, glanced at it, and hit the red key. It rang again. Answer it. On speaker. Luke is not one for messiness. How he didn't see that his pattern of dealing with Barbara by not dealing with Barbara is messy escapes me. Hey! It's Barbara. She sounded like a giddy woman enjoying the touch of her own body. I placed my fingers across his lips. She continued. I just I just wanted you to know I am excited about being considered for ordination. It's been a dream of mine since we were married. It, it has always been my plan. You and I being the ultimate power preaching couple. I looked in his eyes and realized he really did not fully grasp her lack of what is real and what isn't. I pressed my fingers against his lips again, urging him to listen, but more, most importantly, not to speak. I hope you like the furniture I sent to the office. I just really think our office needs a more a corporate and polished look. Bart, I cupped his mouth with my hand and pressed. Hello, Barbara. This is Vicky. Luke mentioned the furniture to me. He hates it. He really hates that you got rid of his chair. Listen, I'm going to do you and he a favor. I'll have Raul hire someone to haul it out into the woods tonight and burn it up. Now, listen, Barbara, about the ordination thing. Well, I think, you know, I really have to run now. I need to calm my man down. I snatched the phone from his hand and threw it into the bookcase. The ampersand bookend hit the ground. Luke didn't move. He was right. Whether he got hell from me or hell from her, he was going to get it. Well, and there you have it. So let's do this. Let's go ahead and take a break now. And then we'll come back and we'll get into the conversation. How about that? Sounds good. Sounds good. For every person who's experienced a challenging relationship with their mother, for every child who's ever questioned why their mom was not there, for every adult still struggling with the trauma of an absent parent, pick up a copy of Hello Mom, It's Gigi. 
First-time author Regina Gigi Hodges walks you through a life of questions, insecurity, indifference, distrust, then finally forgiveness in her memoir detailing the longing for her absent mother. Available at Amazon, Barnes and Nobles, and where fine books are sold. Not completing high school is more of a social thing than it was an academic thing. Even though all these years have passed, I still had that longing to have my diploma. At age 30, Carissa finished her high school diploma. If you're even considering getting your high school diploma, you can do it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. You've written the book, and the book has been published. Now what? Beyond marketing, promoting, and sales, what are the possibilities beyond the book? Is it a podcast, an online course, a virtual event, a product line, a script for film or theater? What can you create beyond the book? That's where Picantry Creative Solutions comes in. We will dive into the development lab with you to create the next great move ideal for you. Ideal based on your book. An ideal for reaching a diverse and varying audience. Reach out to Pecantry Creative Solutions today at www.pecanstreetbooks.com. More magic happens beyond the book. We hope you're enjoying the show so far. Let's dive back into the Griot's Remedy from Book Loudly, a division of Pecan Tree Creative Solutions. And remember, you can always drop a comment on our Facebook or Instagram page. Look for Pecan Tree Pub. And we are back. We are back. We are back. So we're talking about this is not your house. The former first lady has, has definitely made her presence known. Mm. She, she in came ways in. Than one. How about that? She came in with her list of intentions clear. I, I have yeah. to give her that now. I have to give her that. She she knew her agenda and she came in immediately ready to act on it. That's mm. about all I can give her. <laughs> <laughs> I try to find something redeeming in every character. That's that's all I can give her, y'all. I'm sorry. Beyond that, um, so I don't know where to start here. We we have so many interesting things here. Let's start with the character. Let's start with Luke. Mm. Mm. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I got I got two ums. <laughs> so I saw Luke as you know um, he was trying to remain in a in a humble place of uh, you know walking in his leadership as a pastor, but also you know really being. Um, warm and loving towards his current wife, um, constantly reassuring her that, um, that he loved her, that she was the most, you know, first that, you know, there was nothing for him to be, her to be concerned about as it relates to Barbara, but his handling of Barbara, um, was questionable, um, in that, that's a beautiful she, way to say it. Even the wife recognized that. They, go ahead. I'm sorry. What did you say? No, I, I was agreeing with you. I said that's a beautiful way to say it. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was very um, safe 
in that mm-hmm. he never had to confront anything. He never had to um, allow anything that maybe Vicky didn't know be exposed because he kept handling her from a long handed spoon. You know, he never addressed her one on one. And, you know, they, they never had that that conversation. And the fact that, you know, she had just had a spout in a psychiatric hospital. OK, so that was, you know, just another leg to this story. And so I, I was really concerned about just Luke's care and handling of Barbara, you know, that it was threatening, that it was some, you know, red flags there that, you know, said, we need to be aware of this woman. I mean, she tried to run me over. She's doing things like creating these scenarios that eliminate Vicky. And so, you know, the furniture in our how in our place and how we should be this power couple, like, you know, there's some signs there that something is not right with Barbara. And so why are you allowing her to remain a viable part of this church in our life? Mm. Renee, that was a very gentle way of, <laughs> of saying <laughs> that there are so many symbolic pieces of, mm-hmm. of Luke's character that represent the church and how the church sometimes deals with mental health issues. Yeah. And that um we may turn a blind eye to it. Mm-hmm. Uh we may pray it away. Pray it away. But Good. I was so interested in how Luke felt obligated as a pastor Mm-hmm. to let her stay in that position though she was putting other people at risk and mm-hmm. definitely causing yeah. so much upset uh in the congregation simply because she joined the church the church right and he said it i'm now responsible for her soul but what about her the mental capacity of this woman that is showing you that there is something wrong. That there is something wrong, right. She's showing you that there's something wrong. And so it goes back to what you said, Weena. You know, are we praying it away? Are we just believing that if I show her love, if I show her compassion, if I, you know, show her empathy, all of the attributes of what we symbolize in God, that she would just get better? Right, right. You know, like, boom, she's going to just get better. Magically get better, right, Mm -hmm. right. I have to say, I felt all of, um, all of Vicky's frustration. And I think as, as a, as a mother and, you know, you, you look up and, and realize someone, um, has has your child by the hand like they're taking them somewhere and you know that this person is unstable yes that's a hard she did real good she She i don't know about she did real good (laughs) y'all but i i i feel all of vicky's frustration with luke as well now i am not anybody's pastor but i i feel that luke could have handled that situation much differently from the very first incident you know, somebody attempting to take your child off of property without your permission and having lied to say that you did it to me was reason for enough for him as a pastor to have a conversation with her, with someone else present to say this mm-hmm. may not be the, a fit for you. Right. Right. You know, exactly. right. I think he should have shut that. I think he should have shut it down then. 
And I keep asking myself with this piece, why didn't he? Why didn't he? Right. And well, I, and I there's wonder- this other piece. Judges mm-hmm. like pop in here. There's this other piece where when Vicky asked him, did you know she was coming? He said, mm-hmm. well, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> well, I, I might have heard that dot, mm-hmm. dot, dot. Mm-hmm. And so there was some onus on his part to mm-hmm. be responsible for some of the things that were occurring because he did not bother to warn his wife that this thing right. was, was going to land smack dead in the middle of their life again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we mentioned the, the mental health piece and how um, the church deals with the mental health piece. And I think you're right. Luke's Luke's handling and not handling is very much representative of of what can happen because here is here is someone that you already know has has um I'm assuming since she was hospitalized has a diagnosed condition that had gotten so critical that her family thought that was best for her right and here is someone in the moment she reappears in your life has done something that indicates she may may be experiencing another break, right? And instead of immediately addressing that with her support system, whom I'm assuming is her family, you allow several instances to go before you think, oh, maybe I need to check with her family and see if she's off her medication. Mm-hmm. And being whether someone is on or off their medication is not always the, the end all to resolving the issue or helping the issue. In that regard, how can someone like a Luke or the church better posture to help someone who's having um, major mental health struggles? Well, one of the things that I think that, you know, oftentimes we are, the church is quick to bring people to light when they see or hear about um, adultery or um, someone on drugs or, you know, other issues that may be more evident, right? And so in right. that, we're quick to bring people into counsel or into, you know, closed chambers to talk about your issue. But when something is questioned that threatens the life of a child or um, a, a life of Vicky, when, you know, she you know, rode past her so quickly and abruptly and could have harmed her, you know, why aren't we um, just as courageous to bring someone to the table and say, let's talk about your intentions of be of even being here. Like, why are you here? And what, what is your motive? You know, and, and asking those difficult questions. And we don't want to do that because we're like, oh, here's another member. Here's another soul. Here's another tie that we think of all of these things, but we don't think about the big picture. What was Barbara's intention in being there? Um, and having the whoever is in authority, because in some churches, it's not the pastor. You know, he's just a, a worker, just like everyone else. And it may be a board or mm-hmm. you know some Trustees type of auxiliary or, yeah. that is 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 making the decisions and allowing people to come in. And so I'm sure that the church and people were talking and they know all about this woman. And there was, I'm sure, a group that thought, oh, she's psychotic and, you know, she has issues. And then there's others that say, no, she has a right. She, she, you know, there are some things. And so to avoid all of that discord, why not bring her to the table and just have a start with the conversation? 
Yeah. And, and, but and start there. In being responsible for her soul, does that not include being somewhat responsible for assuring her mental health is sound? Absolutely. Right. right? But we don't know how we're not equipped. The church is not always equipped to handle the mental you know, and, and we don't, because we don't know, we'll say things like, let's, let us just pray. We want to keep taking this to the Lord. Um, instead of just saying, I'm not equipped to handle this and let me direct right. you to someone that can help you. Let me direct right. you to someone who is uh, equipped enough to be able to see that there's more here than what is on the surface. Right. And so we don't want to do that. Yeah. We try to offer, we try to offer a counsel with scripture when often in some mental health situations, the the pain or the the effects are so deep that it, it, it can't penetrate right right as 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 much as we would like it to. So, you know, clearly this is another another matter where we could talk about boundaries. But it seems like Barbara is a, is a character or is a person where it would be very difficult to create boundaries for her that she would honor and respect. Or that she would even care to honor and respect because it's, it's, listen, it's a bit much when you follow someone to a beauty salon. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you become honestly violent. You become violent with not only that person, but with others trying to protect that person. Um, I, I, boundaries are important, but how can you enforce boundaries with such a volatile personality? Yeah. Great question. And I think Mm -hmm. that there's a difference between um, promoting someone's salvation and protecting their salvation and and safety. So often the church defaults to, well, if this person is saved and they want to be here physically in our presence, then we have to allow them to be in this space. But everybody else's safety is now compromised because we don't mm-hmm. have any protocols or rules in place that say that there are, you can be saved someplace else. Mm-hmm. You can still be a member of a church and attend virtual fellowship, right. or you can fellowship in small groups, but you cannot come around children and adults and mm-hmm. almost run them over in the car or follow right. them. There are literally legal laws in place <laughs> that should protect right, us exactly. from having to be harassed in church. So my heart really goes out to Vicky because she was trapped from mm-hmm. the first day that Barbara arrived back on the scene. Mm-hmm. And, and Barbara, uh-huh, go ahead. No, go Claudette. And, and and I think the thing that was that was you know putting myself in Vicky's place, the thing that would be so harrowing for me is that one of my first reactions to her being there was fear because right. there because this woman has has a clear record of being dangerous right right, right, right. you know she she's already assaulted someone else based on on something that was not real so she mm-hmm. has she she has a record of of basically stalking luke she she has this this assault record so she already has a record of things and there's that other thing with me that I have a problem with Luke having this record knowing your wife is is afraid should have been reason enough for you to do something before things get out mm-hmm. of hand 
Yeah. And I feel and like he was hiding behind the pastoral collar. Yeah. 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 I agree. And and lacking in providing the church and even Vicky with the information that's needed to understand certain personality disorders. Mm-hmm. So we don't know exactly what kind of psychiatric break Barbara had, but to your point, right. Claudette, we what we do understand is that whatever it is causes her to ignore boundaries mm-hmm. and and to go off of the rails in ways that you can't necessarily control unless there's medication involved. And sometimes even medication doesn't necessarily prevent the entire episode from happening. But because of that, we can't treat the situation like it's a normal situation Mm -hmm. and pray it away or um, be so reactive to it versus proactive. Proactive. There were times when Luke said, okay, I'm going to take you home. And maybe he had a, a elder or a deacon file a police report on the back end. But what are we doing with the police report? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so in that, that hiding behind you, you saw Vicky every day bracing for impact. What uh-huh. is Barbara going mm-hmm. to do next to the mm-hmm. point where she said she had developed a, a whole committee of armor bearers. Right. Right. She had three or four folks right. who were assigned to watch Barbara's every move and make sure that she didn't get close to Kazia and make sure that she wasn't getting too close to Vicky. Yeah. And and to put all of that bandwidth into being reactive about yes. a situation. Mm-hmm. Versus being able to confront the person in the situation head on to just set some healthy parameters or do the hard thing, which would have been to put limits on how she could physically interact, even if she was a member of the church. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Right. I agree. I agree. And and then to put that, I'm sorry, to put that kind of responsibility on other leaders in your church right when that when that energy could have been you know used elsewhere um and probably more effectively for the help of someone else is 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 a bit much you kind of have to then look at your 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 leadership style and for you know one of the things that um and I laugh about it but it's really not funny here you've got you know she's walked into a, a very um sacred service and demanded that they pray um about the, the you know Vicky releasing her witchcraft on on yes. her husband yes right yes. and 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 then yes. offers to pay for it now yeah. i i mean i've been i've been in some churches where that would have been shut down immediately mm-hmm. right but to allow yeah. her to get to the point where you've got you know, you've got an intercessor praying against what she's speaking and you enter into basically playing the dozens in prayer, you know, oh, you're going to pray that I'm going to pray this, that that's a lot spiritually. Mm-hmm. Right. So now you're not only allowing her to affect your marriage relationship and to threaten the safety of of your wife and your daughter and others around her who are trying to wrangle her. But now you're you're allowing her to impact spiritual atmospheres, and that's a totally mm-hmm. different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. Yeah. She's bringing in that seed of discord and dissension and all of those things that, you know, break about the unity of church. And and I'm sure in that circumstances, you know, people began to divide because there are some, you know, that were Vicky siders and some Barbara siders. And so in that space, it's it's not a welcome space because you're right. It, it's messing with good and evil. It's bad and bad and bad choices that um, are being presented to the church to put Mm -hmm. a seal of approval on it through prayer. Like, let's just pray it away. So we're approving and agreeing with what is being said into the atmosphere. And so I I agree wholeheartedly that we, the church, has to be very careful of what we allow to even come into those sacred spaces that, you know what, we're not not going to um, agree with that prayer request. And, you know, you, you can be seated, you know, at this time. Right. And then deal with her in a private setting. Right. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with you, Renee. And and I think that's, you know, that's a critical thing because. And and I agree with what you said, there there clearly had to be some division in the church because she was still able to get votes to be ordained. Yes. Mm. Right. And so then that brings into question, Okay, what is really going on that? that we think it okay to ordain someone who's exhibiting this type of behavior, not, not someone with a mental health condition, but someone who's exhibiting this kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think you're right, Renee, that, that likely speaks to whatever your leadership has allowed to, to pop up in the church and is is creating some division and some dissension. And so Mm -hmm. there is that, okay, we're going to go with her. Right. So that we make her mad. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a difficult space um, to be in, but um, you know, going back to, you know, Vicki and, and just all that she had to endure and to be in a place where at one point she even said, I'm going to take my pistol, like, you know, going to church and having to be in arms, you know, and her husband being aware of that, Luke being aware of that is just a place of, you know, OK, what what do I have to do to make you see? Like now I'm going to, to church with my pocketbook in one arm and holstered with a gun on the other. Like literally, what is it? What picture do you need to see in order for you to take a different stand? I'm your wife, you know, and although you love me and although you're here and you're showing me, you know, um, you know, through words that. I'm the one, but now I need your actions to line up. And so it caused a level of insecurity to rise up in Vicky. You know, mm-hmm. now she had some insecurities because, you know, she was concerned about everything that Barbara was doing, but it magnified the ins- insecurities because everything that Barbara was doing was being allowed. And right. so then she became more insecure. So you couldn't yeah. even really get to the fact that. Okay, Vicky has a little insecurity there too, but that was overshadowed by everything that Barbara was Barbara's doing antics. And allowed to do. Her, yes, it was just you know, and so her her space of insecurity could not even be addressed or um, even be healed or, or touched on because she had some validity to it all, like. Barbara was acting up. Barbara was showing up in places. Barbara was sending furniture. Barbara was showing up at hotels. So all of the spaces where she would be like, you know, you would be questioned in a marriage, like maybe you're being over the top. Well, you know what? Mm -hmm. Barbara confirmed every space where I was being a little over the top or or it may seem to be. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And then so I think really challenging. I think Luke added to that insecurity as as um how how does Wina say it when Luke came in hot about mm-hmm. the furniture? Yes. You know, you, oh yeah. You yeah. come in hot about the furniture and then when I say to you I think you you, you, you this is about the wrong Mrs. Dixon mm-hmm. and then you make the comment oh here we go with that again. Well, well, right. now wait, wait, right. wait, hold on, right. partner, because hold, <laughs> hold on, because we're going there again, because you won't handle that. Yes, you won't handle that, and and you've kind of tied my hands in handling it because you straight up told me that I I have to deal with her from being the place of your help me. Mm. Well, and the first see, lady. This is where that that good old fashioned church protocol comes in. And and that theme was alive and well throughout this piece. The pressures to maintain a certain facade when you Mm -hmm. are clergy or dating clergy, uh, it played a huge role here, though the writing didn't necessarily play it up a whole lot. This is Mm -hmm. a pastor and a first lady who are trying to lead a flock of congregants and you've got this outlier, Barbara, who's cutting up, saying Mm -hmm. all kinds of things that absolutely rile you as a young believer. Um, And then you've got this division of the old guard and the new guard Mm -hmm. being in the old Barbara followers. And then of course, maybe the new Vicky followers, whenever a pastor changes wives, Mm, it's yeah. going to be a problem if the first mm-hmm. wife doesn't leave the picture. And and mm-hmm. there's something to that there that that if something happens in the relationship now, there was a mental health issue here. But the the first lady has to step away from the church that she loves because people are going to ride or die for the pastor. Right. So he's right. here. Right. And, and now we've got Vicky, the new wife here, and, and she doesn't want to ruffle too many feathers. Uh, but you got this woman coming in who's still trying to hold on to that social status. Mm-hmm. Barbara, mental health issues and all said it's still Dixon, the last <laughs> right. name. Right. right. Like- <laughs> Let's, let me be clear. Once a pastor's wife, always, always a pastor's, a pastor's wife. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And and so we hadn't talked about how you can hang on to that level of social status in certain circles mm-hmm. because it's what becomes the defining factor for you. Mm-hmm. So Barbara's mm-hmm. holding on and fighting to the death, as Vicky said, showing up with champagne bottles and hotel keys, <laughs> full yes. church regalia, mm-hmm. correcting people mm-hmm. on her name and and actively doing things to get um, nominated to be mm-hmm. ordained. That mm-hmm. that wasn't just bestowed upon her. She was right. trying to maintain her social status, her status in those yes. ranks. And Vicky is the second or the new wife. And it's it's a hard battle while you're still trying to smile and and put on that solid front as uh-huh. the pastor and the first lady. I can uh-huh. only imagine how hard that was. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, you're right. Barbara was very, like I said from the beginning, she was very clear on her intentions and she was going mm-hmm. to do what she had to do because that position of being a first lady 
of of a nice sized congregation had become her identity. Right. Yes. Yes. And she yes. wanted her identity and anything that had gotten close to Luke, she felt like was a threat to her identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so we can become so lost in our identities that we no longer see reality. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. so true. That's so yeah. true. We can't separate ourselves from the two because we become um, we become this this picture or this image. And now, you know, that the image, you know, she probably had this this, you know, whole picture in her mind and everything that, you know, came in and tried to distort that picture. She was going to destroy little by little. She probably strategically had it in her mind. I'm going to make sure that Vicky's no longer in a picture. I'm going to be the mother. This child, You know, she's brought the child in as her child. She's brought the mm-hmm. church in as her church. You know, so she was dealing with a lot mentally. And so for us, for the church, for all of, um, for Luke and the congregation to mask that and to not bring that to the forefront that, you know, there's something going on because um, even though you've moved on and even though you, you know, have a new wife, this woman here has not let go. You know, she's showing us that, you know, she's stuck right there. And so being stuck, what do we do when people are stuck? What do we, how do we help them to get past those places? And if it's, whether it's a mental issue or not, because sometimes it's not, it's just, I'm just stuck, you know, and, and, and there's nothing wrong with my mental capacity, but I can't move forward. But then there's cases where there's some, some counseling and some psychiatric treatment that is needed in order uh-huh. to get people healed from those stuck places. Right. Um, and, and, and we see it all the time, but a lot of times the churches, we, we, we try to push that thing aside and say, you know what, we're just going to love them like God loved them. And eventually they'll come around. And so we don't know what that eventually looks like in this scenario, because remember, um, Vicky was carrying a gun. Her husband was in denial and Barbara was still running amok. And so Barbara eventually, what amok. would that picture have have turned up to be? We we don't yeah. know. Yeah. Well, having written the story, I can tell you that it does get very violent um, <laughs> by the end of the story. I, I, it does. It does get violent. I will just say this, that Barbara ends up. um and um taking Vicky hostage. Hmm. Oh, so wow. it does it, wow. so it does it does get a, a little violent. Let's take a quick break. When you were young, you'd scribble a story on notebook paper and proudly read it to an audience of stuffed animals. Just like that, you planted the seed of being a published author. Let that vision grow with Pecan Tree Publishing, a self-publishing company designed by authors for authors. Pecan Tree Publishing works with authors in an array of genres and our inclusive packages featuring editing, printing, publicity, and marketing. Get additional information at www.pecantreebooks.com. We're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that our daughters have what they need to grow and learn. But that isn't the case for nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. that struggle with hunger. Childhood hunger is a heartbreaking reality that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and provides it to families and children in need. You can help kids in need in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Broken, fragmented, searching for wholeness, does that sound like you? 
Could guided meditation, online self-paced and live courses help you become unstuck and get onto a steady and consistently forward-moving path? Renee Oderick, founder of Meditational Moment Academy, is poised to assist you in strengthening and revitalizing your mental health through teaching, mentoring, life coaching, and counseling. Discover more at meditationalmoment.com or connect on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for at Meditational Moment. Let your journey to wholeness begin today. We hope you're enjoying the show so far. Let's dive back into the Griot's Remedy from Book Loudly, a division of Pecan Tree Creative Solutions. And remember, you can always drop a comment on our Facebook or Instagram page. Look for Pecan Tree Pub. Um, and I know we, we have to wrap up, but I want to to ask each of you to give some um give some thoughts, give some wisdom to how a a pastor um in his staff and a pastor and his wife can help um I don't want to say manage but help more effectively minister to someone with mental health issues in general but especially if you got someone like a barber who's totally creating disruption um and and putting people's safety at at hand Well first I would say having a mental health ministry is mm-hmm. is key for lots of churches uh, because mental health issues are so prevalent. They have always been, but they're just now getting an ounce of the attention that, that they deserve. So that means you are training people mm-hmm. on how to effectively handle people with certain types of issues and disorders And also putting protocols and measures in place to make sure that people are safe. Renee, you just said, you know, I'm just going to love people the way God would love people. That's the attitude that the church sometimes takes. But God Mm -hmm. was a God of boundaries. Jesus said boundaries Mm -hmm. all the time. He called Mm -hmm. out people for hypocrisy. He called out people for violence. He called out people for wrongdoing. And, and he, he always called the thing, the thing he never sugarcoated. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to exile or ban people, but there are ways to set boundaries in love. It's called detaching in love. And so when you practice detaching in love, it means that you are still rooting for the person. You still love them. You may even forgive them for some of the hurtful things that they do, but you detach physically or emotionally in ways that keep them safe and keep you safe so that you can continue to love them another day. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's good. Detaching in love. That's good. That's good. And I agree yeah, with so, um, everything. Were you finished winning? I'm sorry. I was just going to say that Luke absolutely could have detached in love from mm-hmm. his ex-wife, Barbara, mm-hmm. and put those protocols in place to keep everyone that he loved safe instead of privileging her soul or salvation over that of the people that were in immediate danger. Yeah. I totally agree. I totally agree. And, and you know, um, thinking about, you know, the, setting those boundaries and thinking about, you know, what can the church do? And I, I totally in agreement with us training and having mental 
health professionals that, you know, can teach us about, just like we do with um, CPR or first aid, we want to come in and have that same type of training so that we know how to um, handle those individuals that are coming in. But for those places or those smaller churches that may not have that and may not be able to even, um, you know, reach out and, and receive or have that type of training inside the church, we can't be so prideful that mm-hmm. we do not say mm-hmm. this is beyond my scope. Yeah. But it is, yeah. you know, and that's that's the, the space where a lot of, um, you know, leaders are not able to do. They're not able to set. They think they can handle it. I, you know, I know what to do. I've been. I'm a counselor. I'm a pastoral counselor. But they they don't have the mental training to be able to help or even recognize all of the signs. And so when True. things are coming to you, when your congregation are bringing, you know, things to you, maybe, maybe individuals are starting to tell them little pieces about what Barbara's doing. Don't be so prideful to think that you can handle it, but let it go and bring a professional in. Yeah. So that's what I say to add on to what all that you said, Wena. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and please just, you know, one of the things I hear, I've heard far too many times. And every time I would hear it, I was just cringes. It's, and I would even hear it from, um, from the pastor. And so those in leadership would kind of echo it is, you know, they think someone is, if they think someone is having a mental health issue, then it becomes, oh, and, you know, before you come to church, take your medicine. Well, let's not do that. That's, yeah. you know, to me, that's, that's insulting, but yeah. Um, and it, and it is not helping the situation. Right. Whatever situation you think it is, it is not it, it is not helping the situation. So, um, ladies, thank you so much. Season one has been amazing. Um, and I I do know that it has been wonderfully amazing because of your input and your wisdom and your insight. And so thank you so much. I do thank need you. you to give just some final thoughts and let people know where they can find you. Yes, it has been such a pleasure to go on this ride. And I hope that all the listeners have enjoyed and definitely drop us some comments and feedback on how we can make this better and um, things that we may have missed or overlooked or ways that this applies to your own life. You can always reach out if you need coaching or counseling to me through covenanttherapy.com or look me up on social media, preferably Facebook or Instagram at Wena Wise or Covenant Counseling Group. And I feel so grateful. (laughs) I'm so grateful and um, just blessed to have been with you ladies in this this season. And it has been refreshing. The stories have been so enlightening. And I know and I believe that as listeners listen, um, that they may be able to see, you know, some resemblance of things that they've experienced or things that others that they know have experienced. And so know that your story is not the only story and that there is always help out Mm -hmm. here for you and that we want you and, you know, everyone in your circle wants you to be the best version of yourself. And so if you need to reach out to a counselor, I'm also available as a life coach and a counselor, and I can be reached at meditationalmoment.com also reached on Instagram and Facebook with the same tag, Meditational Moment. So thank you. Thank you so much, ladies. Also want to thank um, our producer, MJ Smith, for a wonderful season and our actors and readers this season, Margaret Joyner, Regina Gigi Hodges, Lamar Hodges, Joseph R. Cray, and Tony Tanaj. Thank you guys so much for bringing voice to the stories. We appreciate it. 
Um, and again, you can always listen to previous episodes on the website at pecantreebooks.com on the Buzzsprout page. Um, look for the Griot's Remedy. And with this this episode, season one is a wrap, but don't worry, season two will come back in a few weeks with more Oh, That's So Good conversations. I promise you that. Um, and we certainly hope, as Weena and both Renee said, that what was shared this season has given you some varying transformational perspectives and some wonderful insights. So what stories are up for season two? Well, I'm not going to tell you because then you won't come back, <laughs> you know. So let's just say we have some um, some mama-daughter drama, some more lover drama, and some heart-pulling as well. So we look forward to sharing it with you. Enjoy the rest of your week. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This has been another creatively powerful and engaging version of The Griot's Remedy. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode, new insight, and discussion that gives you some things to consider as you take a look in your proverbial mirror. The Griot's Remedy, where fiction mirrors real life and everything is up for discussion. Your host is E. Claudette Freeman, editor-producer MJ Smith, production company Book Loudly, part of Pecan Tree Creative Solutions. Email us at bookloudly at pecantreebooks.com or find us at www.pecantreebooks.com. The Griot's Remedy, produced by Book Loudly, a division of Pecan Tree Creative Solutions, is designed to be an entertaining and insightful creative exploration of life issues through the lenses of characters written in fiction and creative nonfiction stories and excerpts or full versions of scripts written for the stage or film. Thoughts, comments, and observations by the host, coaches, counselors, and therapists are not to be construed as personal advice or direction. The host, coaches, counselors, and therapists are also not offering and will not offer mental health advice specific to a listener's individual life or situation, but are sharing individual thoughts and observations. If the themes discussed in this segment resonate with you, we strongly recommend you seek the advice of a licensed mental health care professional or a licensed life coach or life strategist. Visit the podcast site at bookloudly at pecantreebooks.com for resources related to the themes highlighted in this segment.